0: Oh. Good morning. If you want to grab your Bibles, your phones, your iPads, wherever you get scripture, go with me to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. We've been in a series called Colossal, a study through the book of Colossians. The Colossus right over here at Magic Mountain was unveiled in 1978. At the time, it was the biggest roller coaster in the world called Colossal or Colossus. The word Colossal means big, great, significant, and so we chose that word because the book of Colossians is big, it's great, it's significant. And over the last several weeks, we've learned that God has some pretty powerful, important things He wants to say to us. Anybody been enjoying studying through the Book of Colossians this summer? I may great. The church was struggling. There were some heresies that were developing, um, mysticism, philosophy, Gnosticism. We talked about legalism in chapter one, chapter two. But then last week, we dived into a passage, which I'm getting ready to read, where really it's our theme verse for the entire year, and it's about changing our perspective. If you remember, at the beginning of the year, I shared in Colossians the idea of look up, and that is that God wants us to look up, not look down, to live up, not live down, to change our perspective to an eternal, to a heavenly perspective. Last week we learned about changing our perspective about sexuality, and today we're going to continue in chapter 3. It's going to take us a few more weeks to get through the rest of this book, but uh, while you're turning there, I thought I would start with a little story that I thought was funny. I heard a story about a wife who decided to take a nap on Valentine's Day. When she woke up from her nap on Valentine's Day, she called her husband and she said, Honey, I just had a dream that you bought me a big, beautiful diamond ring for Valentine's. What do you think this dream means? And her husband sat there for a minute and then finally said, You'll find out when I get home. Well, she couldn't hardly wait. Finally, he comes through the door after work, and when he walks in, he's carrying a small, little, beautifully wrapped package. Well, she's all excited, and as she's excited, she quickly, as he smiles and hands it to her, begins to open the package, and inside... It was a beautiful book saying, The Interpretation of Dreams. All right, so. How many you know she was disappointed? How I many of you were disappointed But that joke? You're like, could have done better, Pastor Jared. That was, a, that was a four. That was a four. Well, let me tell you something. You're not going to be disappointed as we unpack and unwrap these principles that we're going to learn today. Because we're going to learn some powerful truths. It's going to cut close to home, though. I'm going to tell you that right now. Just like last week, I know for some it was, man, this is a sensitive topic. Well, today it's going to be something that's relevant for everyone in every situation because we all struggle with this topic. I want you, if you will, stand to your feet. Those of you joining us online, why don't you do the same? I want us to read Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, and here's what it says. Everyone declaring this with me out loud. You ready? Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Listen, Paul's telling us, shift our perspective. So I want you to close your eyes. Holy Spirit. Lord, we live in a culture that the way they think about the topic today is different than what, what you want us to think about and how you want us to live. So I'm asking you to speak. Lord, no matter how much I try to get up here and share something, it won't do anything. It won't change any heart. It won't affect any life. But God, here's what I do know. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit. And by the spirit of God, you can begin to speak to us and you can begin to transform and change us. So Lord, we open our hearts. We just have the courage to open your heart? To hear what God might be saying to you today, say this, say, speak to me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Can somebody shout, Amen? Amen. You may be seated today. So here's the bumper sticker for the weekend. You ready? Here's the big idea that I'm asking the Lord to kind of stick to our hearts. You ready? Last week, we learned about changing our perspective to have a heavenly perspective about sexuality. Here's this week's topic as we dive into Colossians. Let me say, Colossians, as we go through it, is giving us the topic. I'm not picking these topics. This passage is telling us what we need to talk about. Here's the idea. Here's the shift God wants us to make. We need to have, write this down, a heavenly perspective about the way we talk. A heavenly perspective about the way we talk. Some of you got nervous right there. Now, I want us to read this next part of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Let me begin in verse 8. We learned change your heavenly perspective. um, And then we learned about getting rid of sexual morality, all that stuff. Now we're diving into the next section that Paul deals with. Here's what he says. But now. Everybody say now. now. Let me say right now. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Here's the emphasis. Paul says, right now... You need to address this topic. Right now, you need to deal with the way you talk. You know, in the culture that they lived in, there were many pagan religions. And here's what the common thing was with pagan religions. They taught going to the temple. They taught worshiping and giving a sacrifice, bowing down before an idol or a god. But they taught very little about morality. So basically, people would come, kneel down, give an offering, get up, leave, and continue to live the exact same way they'd always lived. There was no change in their life from their experience with their God. And Paul was saying, don't buy into that mentality. Because here's the thing, when you receive Christ, you have to put off the old man and put on the new man. The idea put off there in the Greek that we read in Colossians 3, it's it's basically this idea. It means to take off the dirty clothes that you're wearing at the end of the day. You know, I had something really interesting happen one year. My son, when he was really young, went to camp. And when he came home, to our surprise, as we opened his suitcase, all of his clothes were neatly stacked and clean. So you know what that means. As the Lord said about Lazarus, he stinketh. Right? Because what he had done is all week long, he'd worn the same clothes. Now, didn't take a bath, didn't take a shower. But what happens is, wouldn't it be weird if you and I kind of did that? We wore the same old clothes every day, but in order to look better, we'd just throw on a nice brand new clean shirt over the dirty clothes we've been wearing all week long. How many know on the outside it would look clean, but you would stinketh? And what Paul is saying is, listen, when it comes to your relationship with Christ, you don't leave the old dirty clothes on. You don't leave the old activities, mentalities, um, motivations, actions on. There needs to be a change. Don't wait and say, next year, I'll deal with sleeping around. Next year, I'll deal with the way I talk. Next year, I'll deal with that area of my life. Paul says, now is the time because you've received Christ, so put off the old and put on the new. You need to develop new habits, new patterns. And so, one of the patterns he says you need to change, one of the characteristics of the new man is it changes the way you talk. Now, the first question that I ask when I read this verse is simply this How do I do that? How do I change the way I talk? Well, as we read through this, you're going to find two reasons. I'm going to give you the first one. If you want to change the way you talk, here's the first thing you have to do. You ready? Write this down. Here's kind of point number one. If you're going to change the way you talk, you have to deal with your heart. You see, you can't deal with your mouth until you deal with your heart. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus said, For whatever is in your heart will determine what you say. Or another translation says it this way, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want the mouth to speak differently, you have to change what's going on in the heart. And as you look through this passage and as we dive into it, here's what we discover. That Paul, when he says change your language, he begins with the heart. Let's go in and look. Because if you read in Colossians chapter 8, here's what he says. He says, get rid, or put to death, get rid of, now look at the list. It's kind of interesting. Here's the beginning of the list. Anger, rage, and malicious behavior. Now let me define these real quickly. Here's the first one, anger. What does that mean? Well, in the Greek, it literally means, it's a Greek word, which means a deep, smoldering bitterness. It's that thing that's always there that it just takes a little bit of fanning the flame for the fire to ignite. That smoldering frustration, that smoldering bitterness that's just below the surface. Then he says anger and he goes to rage. What does the word rage mean? Well, in the Greek, it's the word thumos and it it means to burst out suddenly and uncontrollably. So it's kind of the release. It's the anger is the smoldering bitterness, frustration, and then something happens to trigger that anger, and it turns into rage, and it erupts. It comes out. And then it goes to the third word, which is malicious behavior, or the word malice. The word malice means an attitude of ill will towards someone. It's revenge developed in secret. So you see the process here that if we're going to change the way we talk, we got to start with dealing with what's going on in the heart, because what's going on in the heart is there's a lot of people who end up saying things. Maybe you're cursing someone out. Maybe you're using language you shouldn't. Maybe you're gossiping about someone. Maybe you're biting at someone with your words, and the reason is not because of your mouth, but because in your heart there's this smoldering frustration. Maybe you're frustrated because of what's happened in your life and it hasn't turned out the way you want to, so you're mad at God. I talked to a person between services and he kind of explained how he'd kind of lost it and that was probably what was going on in his heart. You've got that smoldering anger, that smoldering resentment that then the, put, the trigger is pulled and it turns into rage where it erupts and it comes out and then suddenly you find yourself beginning to think about well how can I hurt that person because of what they did and you know what they need to pay for what they did and it's all in the heart. You know I personally have experienced this process And one of the places that I have experienced it is on the freeway. How many know what I'm talking about? How many here have ever experienced road rage? I was driving down Hillcrest, and that road is when there's no school in session, it's 50 miles an hour. I'm going down the hill pretty fast, and there's all these little side roads, and a car pulls out. And I'm going 50 and they're, you know, they're going slow and they didn't give me a lot of time. So what did I do? I zipped around into the lane next to them, went around them, but we were kind of towards the bottom of the hill and so I zipped back into the right lane, came to the stop and went. Well, I didn't think what I did was dangerous. I didn't think I'd done anything wrong, but for some reason as I'm driving down the old road, a few seconds later I hear honk, 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 honk. and I'm like what is that sound and I look in my rear mirror, mirror and out of the window on the passenger side a woman is sticking her arm out pointing and saying God is number one I mean that's what I thought but that's not really what was happening because she was using the wrong finger and I'm thinking God is number one and then I look, and on the driver's side, he's pointing to God too. <laughs> they're honking, they're waving their arms, and I'm thinking, wow, and so I kind of do the, well, maybe I pulled up a little too fast or something, they didn't like what I did, so I kind of did the, you know, like wave, like sorry thing. The next thing I know, they pull up next to my car on the, on the old road, and they're kind of like weaving by me, and they're, the guy is, he's, he's calling me names, and he's, he's yelling out his window, and she's got her arm out the window, and they're still honking, and I'm driving, and I'm kind of like, man, what is going on? Well, then I get to the turnout to go onto the freeway, and they pull in front of me, and as we are starting to pull into the, you know, to stop at the light, they slam on their brakes real quick, and I have to, like, slam on my brakes real fast. Then she gets out of the car. And she starts walking back. Marcus, you remember this. I was on the way to meet you. And <laughs> I mean, I was rattled by the time I saw Marcus. She comes walking back and she's waving her arms. And, and so at this point, I'm two things. I'm, I'm worried for her because, you know, the old road's a fast road. And she's, on, she's in the lane there walking, number one. And number two, I don't want a problem to escalate. So I roll down my window and say, ma'am, you need to get back in your car. Bad choice of words. So that makes her more mad. Now she's pointing with both hands to God. She's even louder. He sticks his arm out. He's yelling and and honking. And finally, the, the light turns green. So she gets back in the car. They pull off and take off like they're mad. And so I'm like, oh, that was crazy. And I start driving down the road. The next thing I know, they like slow down and get in front of me and slow down slower than the speed limit. And they're waving their arms, pointing at God. I'm worried that there's going to be an incident or something. So I grab my phone and I put it next to the wheel and start filming for evidence just in case. <laughs> Wrong choice. <laughs> so they get mad, slow down more, then pull next to me. She leans out of the car, has her phone on. I'm going, you want to do that? I'm filming you. And she's like going crazy. It was crazy. Now what happened? Well, it wasn't just that something came out of her mouth. It was probably that inside, maybe that morning her and her husband had a fight. Maybe they're going through financial challenges and going to lose their house. Maybe they have unfulfilled dreams or maybe they feel disappointed by life. And so there was this smoldering anger that when the right thing came along, what happened, it triggered in to rage and then turned into malice behavior because they wanted to do me harm. You can't deal with your mouth until you deal with your heart. You'll never get over the mean things you say about that person until you deal with the bitterness and unforgiveness and offense that's in your heart. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. It says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupt by lust and deception. Instead, right, you know, underline this or highlight it. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. And don't sin by letting anger control you. We all will have sin, but what does the, what does the anger do? Does the anger cause us to, to lose it? Does it cause us to say things, to do things? And it goes on to say, and don't sin letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Why is this important, this whole idea of dealing with the heart? Here's why, because the word foothold there it's a Greek word which means to space off a territory it's creating a place of opportunity one of the root words of this Greek word is the word license wouldn't it be weird if I was locking up my house and as I looked outside I happened to notice that there was some gangbangers standing on the corner of the on, on the corner of the street wouldn't it be weird as I'm locking up my house for me to walk up to the guys and say hey guys hope all is well you know, I'm locking up, and by the way, if you need anything, here's a key to my house. That's really stupid logic, right? Because we're trying to protect ourselves from a criminal element while at the same time giving them a key to have the license to come in to the very place we're trying to protect. And when we don't deal with our heart, when we continue to allow the anger and the resentment and the bitterness and all that to stay there without dealing it, what we've done is we've handed a key to the devil and we've given him license and territory to come in and have his way in our hearts and in our situations. Thank you, four of you. I'm glad that it's speaking to your heart. What, what do we do? Well, what I love, here's what I love about this passage he says, listen, this is why this is so dangerous. This is why the way you talk, because it's affected by your heart. This is why this is important, because the devil wants access to your life. And what's interesting is, he says, but instead, let the spirit renew you. Here's what I love about the word renew. It's a word that many of us would understand, but I want to kind of give a clear definition. It means to renovate, to renew. You know, how many know that America is obsessed with staying young? In fact, we have doctors that make lots of money to try to keep us young. They're excellent at stretching and pulling. But here's the reality of those doctors. They don't keep you young. They just hide the fact that you're old. Don't you feel better right now? Some of you are like, great, I just wasted $10,000. They don't really take away the wrinkled skin. They just straighten it by pulling it. They don't really remove the, the spots. They just cover them up. Right? So you're still 60, but you just look 40. Now, I'm not against that. That's fine if you want to do that. But this word doesn't mean that. When it says the spirit will renew you, when it says it will renovate and renew, it comes from a Greek word which means to regenerate or to make young. So here's the powerful thing. Paul says, listen, if you need to change your heart and change your mouth, here's the cool thing. God has sent his spirit, and the spirit won't just take that old, dirty heart that does the wrong thing and try to fix it up and change it. God will literally take that old heart, take it out, you can put off the old, and he gives you a brand new heart that's new, that's young, that's fresh, that's brand new. You don't have to fight the temptation of anger, you know, malice and wrath and and dirty language and all of this with an old heart. I'm going to give you a new heart with a new potential to create new patterns. Man, somebody say amen. amen. I love what Paul's, I'm sorry, what David said in Psalm 51 verse 10. He said, create in me, he had sinned, he had made mistakes. He said, create in me a clean, what? Oh God, renew. That's that same word right there, right? Renew a loyal spirit within me. See, here's the cool thing. You're struggling to change the way you talk, but the the problem has been, you've been dealing with your mouth. And what God's saying, go a little deeper. Paul says, if you're going to deal with your mouth, start with your heart, and let God get rid of that unforgiveness that's there. Let God deal with that disappointment and frustration, because life hasn't worked out the way you want it to, and because you're angry at God, because you thought things would be different. Let Him deal with your heart, and here's the good news. He won't just deal with it. He won't just, you know, heal it up. He won't just make it feel better he'll take out that old heart and give you a brand new one by the spirit of God to give you the ability to be and do what he's called you to be somebody say amen isn't that awesome right there in the middle of Colossians how do I change the way I talk number one deal with your heart here's the second thing once you can deal with your heart then you can deal with your mouth deal with the mouth Deal with the mouth. Colossians chapter 3, look at what the list goes on to do. He begins in Colossians 3 by saying get rid of anger, wrath, malice. Then he says get rid of, once he's given those three, then he says get rid of slander. Everybody say slander. Slander. And dirty language. Say dirty language. language. And don't lie to each other. Say lying. lying. Let me break these three words down. The first word is dirty language. I'm going to use that word first. The word dirty language in the Greek means this. It means crude talk filled with swearing or cussing and dirty jokes or sexual innuendo. So let's just kind of take it back to the last point. If you're the person who always has a dirty joke, you're not just someone using a dirty joke to create something funny. It's telling us about there's a condition in your heart related to that issue. If you're the person that's cussing and going off, it's not because that you grew up in a home where everybody cusses. It's because there's something going on in your heart. So Paul says, and I know in the church today it's a lot different. When I grew up, you know, you grew up where you if you're very Christian, you don't cuss. But now that's not really that big a deal. A lot of Christians are cussing on Facebook and on, you know, and they're they're cussing at work and and whatever it might be. Now again, I'm not here today to judge anyone, and I'm not here to make you feel bad or condemn you, you know, uh, because we all struggle. We all have moments that we say things and do things, but what I'm praying will happen is that we'll hear this important message that God is giving us so that we don't buy into our culture, because our culture says, well, that's just the way it is. That's just how you deal with it. You're just venting. You're just, you know, um, you know re- releasing the pressure gauge. It's okay. It's not a big deal. We're going to dive into that in a minute. Dirty language. So that's cussing, sexual jokes, things like that. Here's the second thing, lying. What does that mean? Well, lying is, here's what's interesting about this Greek word. It's to tell the untruth. So we get that, right? But it also means deception. So what this is saying, it's not just, hey, don't tell the obvious lies. Also, don't tell the white ones. Because deception is, I'm going to tell part of the truth, to deceive so that everything will work out okay. Do you notice how quiet it is in here? Who <laughs> got quiet. The third one is slander. Now this one means, it comes from a Greek word called blasphemia, or blasphemia, and it's from where we get our word blasphemy. But here's what it means. It means to destroy a reputation by lies, gossip, And spreading rumors. Now some of you just immediately disqualified yourself. You're like, well, that's not me, praise God, because when I spread a rumor, it's not a lie, it's the truth. (laughs) Paul says, these types of things that come out of your mouth, gossiping, talking, cursing, all of this stuff, Lying, deceiving, that should change because you've got a new garment you're wearing. And the new garment is different than the garment that you had. So now is the time. Not next year I'll work on my language. Next year I'll, no, now is the time. That's why I love how Paul, I mean how David addressed this issue. Here's what he did is he came to God and he said in Psalm 19, this was his prayer, and I think it's the prayer we should all pray. And it's simply this May the words of my what? Mouth. Of my what? Mouth. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my what? Mouth. Be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. How does a transformation happen? in the way we talk? Well, through the power of the Holy Spirit, if you read the passage in Ephesians, through getting to know God and his word, he gives us a new heart. And that new heart is not one that's quick to hold bitterness and offense. It's one to trust. When things don't work out, instead of getting mad at God, we say, I'm gonna trust you, God. I don't understand it, but I'm gonna trust you. We have a new heart, the way we address our Issues of the heart and then that begins to impact our lips and our mouth and what we say. Cause you know, bottom line is that frustration that's right there, it'll come out. It's so easy. That that happens to me when I'm fixing something at my house. This is when I struggle. That's one of my struggles. And I, I figured out why I my wife always teases me and says, I don't like to have you fix stuff. I'd rather have someone come and do it, because you're always mad. And I got to thinking about why am I always mad? And here's why I get mad. Because first of all, I have stupid tools. (laughs) You know why? Because they never work right. And they always hide themselves because the one I need is not in my toolbox when I need it. Come on, man. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I find myself getting frustrated. And here's why. Because usually there's something else. Maybe it's my day off and I want to go play golf. But I can't get to my tea time because this stupid little thing that was going to take me 15 minutes to fix takes me an hour and I miss my tea time. (laughs) Okay, I need to deal with my heart. I know, I know. (laughs) Frustration. Smoldering. Right? Right? See, God wants us to deal with our heart and deal with our mouth. So here's the, here's the question that I want to ask. Here's the second question we're going to address. The first one was, how do we deal with the way we talk? How do we change the way we talk? Here's the second question, and that's, why should I change the way I talk? Why? What's the big deal? Okay, I heard the thing about the key, and that's interesting, you know, uh, Pastor Jared, but I don't know. Why, why do I really need to change the way I talk? It's just who I am. Pastor Jared, I'm Latino. I'm like salsa in a bottle. I'm spicy. It's just who I am. Pastor, you don't understand. I'm Irish. I have red hair. It just comes with the territory. It's who I am. Why do I need to change the way I talk? Well, let's read Ephesians chapter 4. Ready? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24 says, put on your new nature, created to be like God. Underline that because we're going we're gonna to explain that and touch on that. Truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies and let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all a part of the same body. Underline that phrase. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will bring or be an encouragement to those who hear them. That's a great one to underline. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. What's he referring to? The way you talk. He was just talking about the way we talk. Underline that. Don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Remember, He has identified you as His own. That's a great one, right? Right, you know, underline that. Guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Okay, why do we need to change the way we talk? This passage in Colossians gives us really three reasons. Here's number one. The first reason we need to change the way we talk is because, number one, your tongue defines. Well, let me say it this way. Your tongue defines you. let me say what you say there's always someone listening i heard the story about this little boy who was at church and he walked to the pastor after the service when the pastor was shaking hands and he said pastor here and he handed him a dollar the pastor's like well thank you but why did you give me a dollar he said well i feel like i need to help you and the pastor was confused like well why do you need to help me he said because i heard my dad say you're the poorest preacher he's ever heard Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had someone's kids come to your house and then out of their mouth came and you thought, what are they saying over there? Because what's coming out of their mouth is coming out of their mouth because they've heard it from their father or from their mother. So therefore, what you say identifies you with who you belong to now let's go a little farther the bible says that there is a father and he's called the father of lies and he's called the accuser of the brethren so could it be rather than, as we read in Hebrew, or read in Ephesians and in Colossians, that rather than our tongues and our language identifying us with our Father in heaven, instead, the way that we're talking is identifying us with a different Father. Because your tongue defines you. Let me just read this verse to you. James 1 26. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. What's defining you when you open your mouth? When people listen to you, who do they think your father is? A father of grace and forgiveness, a father of love, father of hope, a father of promise, or a father of lies, a father of accusation and slander? You see, why is it important that we change the way we talk? Because your tongue defines you. Here's the second thing, is not only that, your tongue destroys. Some of you are like, man, this is so encouraging. Thank you, Pastor Jared. Feel better. Your tongue destroys? We just read a moment ago, here's the first thing your tongue, your talking will destroy. The Bible says that when we live an evil life, and it defines what the evil life is. We read it a moment ago. It says when you have dirty language, when you slander, when you use your mouth in the wrong way, it says it, it's evil behavior. And then it says don't live like this because it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. It brings sorrow to God. You see, you distance yourself. You're hurt the Father, you grieve the Spirit when you talk and you use language that doesn't glorify and honor the Lord, when you, you know, use these categories that we listed today. And that bad language, what does it do? It's first of all defining who really has great influence or it's defining what's going on in your heart and who's got control of your heart. But secondly, it's also defining that, that, that you are, are hurting your intimacy with God. See, God, the Bible says the Spirit yearns jealously for you but we keep it, him at arm's length because we keep hurting and wounding him and grieving him with the things that we say. It destroys intimacy with God. You know what it, it also does? And let me show you a verse. This one will kind of surprise you. Proverbs eleven eleven says, Upright citizens are good for a city and make it prosper. Amen. But the talk of the wicked tears it apart. Our words literally destroy the city, your family, your sphere of influence, your church, wherever you're connected in community, the very thing that you want God to build up and the very thing you want to be blessed can't be blessed because instead of speaking blessing, you're speaking curses or you're speaking wickedness and wickedness destroys the very thing that you're trying to build up. Because our words have consequence. Our words matter. Listen, all you have to do is watch a reality TV show and I'll prove it to you. We have now made entertainment gossip, cussing, backbiting, and slander. Because that's what most reality shows are, right? Conflict. That's what a show is. If you go to a, a producer and say, I have a show, their first question is going to be, What's the conflict? Conflict sells. And we think, well, if it was really that bad, why do we watch it? Well, here's why: because the Bible says that gossip is, in Proverbs, is like a tasty morsel. So we find ourselves watching this stuff, and what are we doing? We're going, I like that show. It's a tasty morsel. Now, if you watch those shows or whatever you have shows you watch, I'm not trying to, to diss or, or you know make you feel bad or whatever today. But what I'm saying is, what we don't understand is that we've made entertainment the very thing that is tearing down community, that is tearing down the family. You see, all of those types of language, all of those types of things that come out of our mouth, what they do is they destroy. Now, maybe you're saying, Pastor Jared, you're kind of pushing that Proverbs verse a little far. You're kind of pushing Ephesians a little far. Well, then let's make it real clear. Go to Proverbs 18, 21, and here's what it said it says the tongue can bring what can bring what so the tongue can bring death or life and look what it says those who love to talk will reap the consequence so what's coming out of your mouth will determine the consequences of your life are you bringing life and hope and peace or is the communication that's coming out of your mouth tearing down and destroying the very thing that you're wanting to see God build up and bless How many people, listen to this. How many people are sitting in this room or watching online and you struggle with your confidence, you struggle to succeed in life because you're fighting against your parents telling you your whole life, you'll never amount to anything. You always do everything wrong. You never do anything right. And now we're struggling to get victory because of the death that's been spoken over our lives. Maybe we're wondering why our children aren't thriving, but we're speaking things like, you know what? You better change. You better knock it off. What's wrong with you? How come you never? We speak death. What we don't understand is that the tongue, not only does it define, but the tongue destroys. It leaves a lasting imprint. Why do we need to change our language? Because the tongue defines, the tongue destroys. Now here's, we're gonna end with a little bit of positive. You ready? The tongue directs. Your tongue directs. If you read James chapter 3, it's an entire chapter or a large portion of that chapter is about the tongue, the mouth. And here's what it says. It says, like a bit in the mouth of a horse, or like a small rudder on a big, large ship, it says, or like a flame, or I mean, like a spark to a, a roaring fire, it says, so is the tongue. Now, here's what it's saying, two things. Number one, little can have a big effect. The tongue is a small thing, but it can have a huge impact on your family, on your future. That little thing can have a big impact. That's one of the messages of that passage. Here's the other message. Your tongue determines where you're going. Let me say it this way. Maybe you and I need to send our words in the direction we want our life to go. If the tongue directs our life, maybe we need to send our words in the direction that we want our life to go. How many times, though, too often do we buy into the other side and we don't allow God to change our language? He doesn't doesn't allow him to change our heart. And so we end up saying things like, this is going to be a lousy day. Or, I can't stand my job. Or, you know, my spouse and I will never get along. Or, you know, we'll always be poor. We're never going to get ahead. Or maybe it's, you know what, I'm always going to be single. I'm never going to find that person for me. Could it be that we're sending our words in the direction of where our life is going? And rather than speaking life, we're speaking death. Rather than using our words to define our situation, why don't we use our words to change our situation? Somebody say amen to that. That's, That's a tweet right there. Heard a pastor say it. Rather than using your words to define your situation, use your words to change your situation. What do you mean, Pastor Jared? Well, the Bible says in Romans 4, it says, Speak the things that are not as though they are. You set the course of your life. Maybe rather than saying, I'll never get ahead, I'm always going to be unhappy. My life will never change. Maybe you need to turn the ship a little bit and say things like, this is going to be the best year I've ever had. Or, I'm going to work hard and achieve more than I ever have before. You know what? I'm going to have a great relationship with my children this year. You know, my kids, they're going to start making great decisions. They're going to grow up and know God and have a positive impact in the world. You know what? I'm going to find the right person that loves God, that serves God. That's the one from me why don't we decide to send our words in the direction that God wants to send our life you see I wrote this quote down and I think it's pretty powerful it's simply this you can see where you will be in five years by what you're saying today you want to know where the relationship with your kids will be in five years just stop and listen to what you're talking about and what you're saying right now You want to see where your finances are in five years? Listen to what you're saying right now. Because our words direct. Your tongue directs. You have the power to bring death or life. That's why I love the verse. I want the worship team to come. I love this verse. Psalm 107 verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So, if you want to find that special someone who's a Christian could it be that you're going to have to say so? If you're going to get that promotion, could it be that you're going to have to say so? If you're going to see your marriage restored, could it be that you're going to have to say so? In fact, isn't it interesting that there's a correlation between what we say and what God does? I want to end with this. At 5.29 a.m. on July 16, 1945, in north, northern New Mexico, with one blinding flash, the atomic age had begun. The atomic fireball shot upward at 360 um, feet per second, and the characteristic mushroom cloud formed at 30,000 feet. Man, what power, what unbelievable destructive power was unleashed that day. Just 21 days later, that horrible destructive power was brought to bear on our enemy in World War II when a B-29 bomber dropped the first atomic bomb called Little Boy on Hiroshima in Japan. As the bomb was released, the co-pilot said, what have we done? We know the devastation. Now, obviously it stopped the war and many believe that that you know, cost of 100,000 lives or whatever it ended up being was a small price considering they felt that over a million lives would be lost if the war continued. Wherever you're at on that spectrum, I don't know, but what we do know is that on that day, atomic power, atomic bombs, the nuclear age began. Here's what's interesting. Six years later, on December 20th, 1951, something else spectacular happened. In Arco, Idaho, Idaho, there was a dark sky that was brightened with the light as well. But instead of a nuclear bomb an explosion, it was light bulbs. Not nearly as bright, but it was brightened just the same. And it was brightened by the first electricity produced from nuclear energy. Do you know that today, one fifth of America is powered by nuclear energy? It powers schools, it powers buses, it it powers schools and hospitals and churches. The uranium that is used in the nuclear reactor that produces electricity is the same uranium that's used in the atomic bomb. The exact same science is used in the reactor as the bomb. The exact same atoms and electrons and reactions and physics are used in each. So, what's the difference? It's how they're used. When what is is used one way, it produces destruction. And when it's used another way, it produces energy. Now I bring up that illustration because it's a beautiful example of the tongue. When you open your mouth, does it bring a bomb and destruction and harshness and pain and death? Or does your mouth, when it opens, bring life and light and hope? Why did Paul give the church in Colossae this teaching? Because he knew that the future of the church in Colossae depended on the tongue of its believers future of your family, the future of our city, the future of this church, the future of this nation, the future of this world hangs in the balance of the fact that you and I have the ability to speak life, to speak hope, to speak peace, to speak healing, to speak restoration, to speak redemption. God wants to change our language because he loves us. And he wants us to live the life that he intended us to live. But instead, we let the enemy control our tongue through our heart and we end up destroying the very things God wants to build and he wants to bless. The Bible says that out of the mouth comes blessing and curse. And I declare in Jesus' name that he's raising up a group of believers at higher vision that are people of blessing. People that know how to speak truth and life and hope and freedom and that that power that is pulling you to the dark side to release the bombs that destroy the relationships in your families and your friends and uh, online and wherever it might be, that God's going to begin to remove that and change our heart so that we can release life and hope that God wants to give in every circumstance and every situation.